welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to another episode of Fertility Conversations. Today I'm joined by a lovely guest, Fee Muverini. She's a physiotherapist, a wife, and a mom to an 18, oh, sorry, 13-month-old girl born through surrogacy in February 2022. Uh, she's very passionate about raising awareness about alternative paths to parenthood to help people more aware of what actually exists and to also inspire hope to people dealing with fertility journeys. Fee joins us here today to share her fertility journey and her details would also be in the show notes. So welcome Fee and thank you so much for joining us today. Well thank you Ola for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yay, thanks for being here. Uh, so firstly you usually say tell us a little bit about yourself. Well I'm a physiotherapist as you said. Uh, I've been qualified for over 10 years. I work for a private practice, an, an occupational health company. Um, I have a daughter born via surrogacy in 2022. That was our little miracle. Uh, I'm married to my uh, lovely, lovely selfless husband. Um, and yeah, that's 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 me in a nutshell. <laughs> Wonderful. How, how did you and your spouse meet? We met, well, we were friends for many, many years. And yeah. it so happened that there was a time when we were both single and uh and yeah and we thought you know we're both single and yeah <laughs> so it's not a bad thing to be put in that friend category because sometimes no. people say oh you don't want to be in the friend category <laughs> no but it actually you know you have a foundation to build on mm. you already have uh, established a foundation so yes. I think it's easy to then build on from that yes. um so so yeah so then we dated for a while and we married got married in 2018 we would have been to get married for five years this August. Oh, wow. Yes. Congratulations. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. And to our topic of today, fertility journey, how much would you like to tell us, you know, as much as you want or as little as you want, please share your story. Okay. So, so our story started, I would say, in uh, 2017 towards the end of 2017. So I went to a gynae because I realized that I was having very light, ex extremely light periods. And this was, the light period started when I'd had surgery, fibroid surgery in 2015. But I didn't make, you know, I didn't think anything of it. When I spoke to the gynae, so the surgeon that performed the surgery to remove the fibroid, she said, oh, you know, your fibroid, your, your, your periods will normalize at some point. Uh, and that should be a relief, right? Because prior to me having the fibroid surgery, I'd, I'd been experiencing heavy bleeding. Like I'd gone for, for what, three weeks on a period, sometimes four weeks, you know? So me having a very light period, <laughs> one or two days was a welcomed relief. So I ignored it over the years. And then in 2017, I think we were starting to have conversations, my husband and I, well, he, he was a, my boyfriend at the time. We were starting to have conversations about getting married. And I thought, I better get this checked out, you know. Um, and given that I'd had a previous history of fibroids, I thought it might be best to go to a gynae to get checked out, just to make sure that everything is okay. 
So I did, um, and they did some investigations. Well, first of all, when I went to my GP and I told him and I explained that I, I was experiencing light periods, he said, well, what do you want us to do about it? And I said, well, I've been doing some research and the research shows that if you're experiencing very light periods after having had a myomectomy, that's the name of the surgery that I had to remove the fibroid. So research had said that having very light periods following the surgery may be um, an indication that your endometrium has been damaged, like the lining of the endometrium. So I say to him, well, you know, it's best you refer me to a gynae. Yeah. They might know what to do. And then he say, well, what, what will they do? What will they do for you? You know, your periods won't, won't get any better. And I thought, I'm not having this conversation. <laughs> you know, but how crazy. <laughs> So I say to him, I would rather be referred, please. So anyway, he did. Um, he did. And then they did some investigations. So I had an MRI scan. I had a transvaginal ultrasound scan where they put a probe inside your vagina, for those that don't know. Um, and they discovered that I had had uh, severe scar, scar tissue, like adhesions within my uterus. And then they also noticed that there was some, um, they, I can't remember the word, but it looked like the endometrium. It wasn't as smooth as it should be. And they suspected that it, perhaps the surgeries, the previous surgeries that I'd had for fibroids may have, may have had caused, caused that problem. So they suggested having a hysteroscopy, which is a surgical procedure where they scrape away the scar tissue. Um, I had that done. That didn't help. Um, they then said, well, let's try and thicken your lining of the womb to see if that will thicken because it needs to be an optimum uh, you know, size um, if, if you want to get pregnant. I think it's eight millimeters. That's, that's, that's usually the, the, yeah, the thickness of the, base, yeah, the millimeters. So they gave me estrogen patches to take to try and increase the lining, my lining of the womb. That didn't work either. It just wouldn't grow beyond three millimeters. And then it got to a point where they said, well, you, we could try a hysteroscopy again to scrape off the, the, the scar tissue. And at this point, I'd had enough, you know, poking, prodding, and then having had this history of having fibroids, having surgeries, my body had had enough, you know? Um, so the last conversation I had with the gynae, he said, listen, we've tried to remove the scar tissue. We've given you estrogen to try and increase your lining, but it seems like you're not responding. And um, I think the best, best thing to do now is possibly try surrogacy because he said, even if we tried to offer you IVF, it just wouldn't work because your lining is so thin. We can't actually transfer an embryo into your lining because it's not thick enough for the for the embryo to grow. And if if by some miracle you were to fall pregnant, um, you were at you are at risk of experiencing a uterine rupture. So my uterus would rupture at any time, and I would lose the pregnancy. I'd bleed to death, or I would have a hysterectomy straight away. You wow. say, yeah. So you said it's that drastic. And I said, well, would you know at what point of the pregnancy that would happen? And he said, no, you wouldn't know. It could be any time. Because he said, it seems like your uterine lining is so thin 
and it's not strong enough to withstand a growing embryo. So if we knew that you were pregnant, you would have to be on bed rest because of the um, significant risk to your life. And then he said, look, if you are my daughter, if if you are my daughter, I would be advising you to go for surrogacy. Is this in the UK? Yes, this is in the UK. Uh, I had another opinion. They looked at the scan. They looked at everything else and they agreed as well. They said, yeah, your best chances are surrogacy. You know, so obviously I discussed that with my husband and um, we decided that we would go through surrogacy. You know, it was a difficult choice. It really was. You know, as women to be told that you can't carry a pregnancy, it was devastating, you know, when I was in that room with the guy and when he was telling me all of this, you know, when your mind is just pinging and you're thinking and thinking, there's so many thoughts running through your mind. You're thinking, is this, is this real? What I'm listening yeah. to? Is it, are you telling me I can't carry <laughs> <a> pregnancy? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we had to make that tough decision to go for surrogacy. And so that's when that process started. Um, we looked in the UK there's a surrogacy, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, but then there's this charity called Surrogacy UK. It's one oh, of the okay, main- I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's one of the main, it's a non-governmental organization, an NGO, a charitable organization um, that supports um, people like ourselves, couples like ourselves looking to have a, a baby. So the process at the time in 2018, the process of registering, you would fill in an application form and then they would sign you up and then um, get you registered on this database where you would chat to surrogates, you know, so you would introduce yourself, create a profile, um, but you, you are not, it's it's like they, they don't do the matching because it's not allowed in the UK. So there aren't in the UK, there aren't any agencies that actually do the matching because it's not, legally allowed so it's different from the states so the charity what the charity does is that the surrogates applied to be on their website um and the parents which is us they call us intended parents okay you apply to join and then they have the social gatherings that they have that you attend and you get to know each other so they don't they facilitate the meetup right but they don't actually match you up so it's down to you or it's down to the surrogate to actually decide whether or not they want to go with you. So the process is quite lengthy because you may never be chosen. Yeah. And at the time, the ratio of surrogates to intended parents was one surrogate to five couples. And the waiting list at the time was eight months. Wow. To do it because they, they had, yeah, they say they had so many parents wanting to join um, and we thought we can't wait that long. Exactly. I want a baby now, you yeah, know. Exactly. <laughs> I want the surrogate to start tomorrow. <laughs> I want a baby like tomorrow. I'm not waiting eight months. So anyway, so so it so happened that so I joined the Facebook uh, page. They had a Facebook page, so I, we joined the Facebook page. And then on that page, they listed an event that was going on in London, where they had consultants from America. Uh, Ukraine, Greece, Cyprus. I can't remember another country. So they had consultants to come in to talk about their clinics and their surrogacy programs. So we attended, my husband and I attended. 
And there was this gentleman from Greece. He had a clinic. He was the medical director of this clinic. So he gave his talk and he talked about his new, sorry, the new surrogacy uh, program in Greece. And we thought, oh, we've been to Greece. Greece is close. Yeah. Greece. Let's have a word with him, right? Because at that point, we're considering going to the States. Um, but, you know, weighing out the costs as well, that was another issue. So seeing that there was someone actually quite close. So we spoke to him after the event and he said, you know what, come to Greece and then we can have more conversations around our program. And he had told us that he had had a, they, they had had a couple that was successful from the first UK couple was successful um, the year before that was in 2017, 2018. Mm. So, so yeah, so we traveled to, to Greece and we met the clinic. We were happy and, and that was, yeah, the, we started the ball. The ball started rolling in 2019. Um, yeah. And then we, shall I, would you like me to continue? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we want to hear. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so in 2022, January, we traveled there to do the IVF. So we stayed there for two weeks. I had the IVF. Um, took the drugs, created four embryos, and um, they were frozen. And then we had to wait until the clinic had helped us find a, uh, a surrogate. Okay, so they eventually found a surrogate at some point. So in Greece, before you proceed with surrogacy, the court has to approve it first. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the court system has to approve the process legally. So in order to approve that, the clinic needs to send documentation um, detailing our medical records as to why this couple from the UK is requiring surrogacy in the in Greece. So they have to explain the medical condition um, and just give a, bit, a brief a, a background regarding our case. So they did that um, and we got approved. Usually takes up to three months for the approval for the courts, but we were lucky it happened in a week. Oh, wow. I know. I know. It uh, it happened in a week. And then, um, so the process started, we found the surrogate, our surrogate was found. Uh, We we initially interviewed, we spoke to the first one via Skype. And then that didn't work because she decided to go back to her country at some point. And then they had to find a different one. We know they helped us find another one. Uh, Once we found um, this lady, she had two kids. She has two kids, um, age five and 10 at the time. And we just clicked, something clicked, you know? Mm. When we met her for the first time on Skype, I don't know, it just felt right, you know? Because we asked her some questions. It's like going on a date. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, It's like going on a date. So she was asking us some questions. We were asking her some questions and the coordinator. So there's a surrogacy coordinator who's assigned to you. So she's, she, she was sitting within the meeting and, and sort of uh, translating certain words or that she wasn't familiar with. Right. So, yeah. And so we, we went with her, we chose to go with her. And then um, we had uh, the attempt at the first transfer, two eggs, two embryos. We had a miscarriage after five five weeks, you know. So you know that first pregnancy test, yeah. positive. Oh my goodness, that's huge. She, it was huge. We had tears when they told us that she was positive. 
And her numbers were looking good. You know, the HC, HCG numbers, they were looking good. They were thinking, oh, it could be twins. The numbers were rising because they had transferred two, two embryos. And we're thinking, oh my gosh, can't believe it. Naive, first time. You know, for those that don't know, the likelihood that IVF is positive, is successful the first time, it's quite slim. But we went in it naive. We thought, you know, science should work, right? (laughs) (laughs) But she miscarried after five five to six weeks. And that, that was like a dagger, you know? Horrible. Ah. My husband even had some some form of PTSD because we received the message through an email. Initially, the surrogacy coordinator said the numbers are not looking good. That was in the email because we were so anxious. We were emailing her and that was the first line that we saw. And we thought, oh my gosh, she is miscarrying. And then they confirmed it over the phone. We had a call. We spoke to the gynae and... Um, he said, look, let's try again. Let's try again. She's a young, she's young. She's 31. She's had kids before. I'm hopeful it's going to work. So let's give her, let's give her some time to deal with the miscarriage and then we'll try again. She's willing to try again. So we had a second go. So this time we were left with two eggs, embryos. She had the second embryo transfer and that just didn't work. Oof that just didn't work. They didn't know why it didn't work. And then she wanted a break. She, she didn't even say a break. She say she just wanted time. I think it was all too much. This was, she'd never done it before. Her body, because again, for those that don't know the process, she needed to take medication as well to prepare her own body to receive our embryo. So she was injecting herself for about three weeks, injecting herself with hormones to prepare her lining for her embryo. She, she was given medication to take, pregnancy medication. So she was going through her own treatments, you know? So her hormones were up and down. And maybe even feeling guilty, the pressure is much. Yeah, because yeah. I, I remember when she had the miscarriage, she kept saying, I'm so sorry. And she would send emojis, you know, with tears and saying, I'm so sorry. But don't worry, God is with us. God is with us. It will be well. So I think the second attempt, she didn't take it well and she needed a break. Oh, you know. How are you hard. feeling at that time? Because, because you know, when you when you get it, moving into surrogacy, it takes such a long time to actually wrap your mind around it. Like you said earlier, you know, being told that you cannot carry your own baby, right? Being, as women have been told since you're little girls, you know, that's the whole point. You're going to have kids, you're going to be pregnant. So yeah. you then told that this cannot happen and you finally move forward to mm. surrogacy. You assume that it's going to work right away. That's right? what I like, you, yes, because this is a 31 year old. Yeah. She's had children before, she's healthy. They've done their tests. Oh yes, because they'd have to do some tests. So they did some psychological tests um, some medical tests just to make sure that she was fit to carry a baby. Yeah. So from the medical point of view, they were happy with her. They thought, you know, she's she's perfect. And we thought, oh, okay, she's perfect. You know, she her womb is perfect to yeah. look after a little baby. So it should work straight away, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so she took a break. 
Fortunately, she came back to the clinic and she said she wanted to have a go. Um, and it was tough during that time because you don't know how much to communicate when it when in terms of do we contact her regularly? Um, exactly. To find out how she's doing, but we didn't want to come across as exactly as pushing too much. Yeah, you know, pushing her exactly. Yeah. So it was a tough time. But anyway, fortunately, she came back, and then um, she she wanted to try again. So that was the embryo that was successful. Mm. We had our baby. Wow. <laughs> so the whole process took from 2018 till 2022. It's a long process. It's a long process. It was a long process. So I remember the day our baby was born. <laughs> because in Greece, what they say, what the clinic says, um, uh, before the baby's born, they prefer the parents to be in Greece yeah. four weeks before, just in case the baby comes early. So we had to travel there and stay there. Jeez, for four weeks. But she came early. She came two weeks earlier than planned. <laughs> she, was, she wanted to meet you as well. <laughs> but that gave us a chance to meet her, meet the surrogate, meet her partner, meet her kids, her family. Oh, you know, her little boy who was 10 at the time knew that mom is carrying a baby for fee oh. and Mike and uh, my husband. And um, but the little girl didn't know. She just thought mommy is pregnant. Mommy has a soul. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so it gave us a, a chance to get to meet the family. Um, and then two weeks later, baby came. The day, the day she was born, they asked us to come to the hospital at eight o'clock in the morning because they were sorry get had gone into hospital. And they kept us updated. You know, we had a surrogacy coordinator who's a midwife. Right. She would go in into the delivery suite, come back out and let us know what was happening. Um, and due to COVID, they didn't want us to be within ah, right. due mm. to COVID rules. So we couldn't be inside the delivery suite just in case of cross contamination. So they're quite strict with that. So when we got the call that the baby's nearly here <laughs> and then we had to you know, proceed to go and wait so we could see her. I'm telling you, you know, when you shake, you get the call and you're like, I, I can't believe because we were waiting. So we were waiting with her husband, with her partner. Uh, it was the three of us, a partner, myself and my husband. And we were waiting. He was nervous because, you know, anything can go wrong. Of course, yeah. His wife is, is in there yeah. waiting, giving birth. Anything can go wrong. And so we all stood and we waited for that moment. And they brought her out. Oh. You know, it was just unbelievable. After so long. It was as soon as I just saw her. I was just like, thank you. Yeah. I was just like, finally, you know. Yeah. Finally. 
I've waited for you for so long. Yeah. I I was shaking. My husband was quiet. He was quiet. I could see tears in his eyes, but he was quiet. My Lasaragate's husband was in tears. And when I held her for the first time, I felt a heart beat oh. my chest, you know, smelled his skin. And I'm like, you're mine. You, you are mine. And um, yeah, I'll never forget that day. It's, 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 you know, when you hear celebrities talk about surrogacy, as I say to you before we started the recording, that you think, it's not easily accessible to all yeah. of us, regular people like us. And I said, it happened to us. And I said, if it can happen to us, regular people, I need to tell other people that it's possible. It's not for the rich. <laughs> there are ways of going around it, you know? And the clinic was so supportive. So we stayed in the hospital for three days. That's the protocol in Greece. Uh, it was a private hospital. It was all included within the package, the surrogacy package. So they allocated a delivery room, a room for us for three for three nights because they, they prefer to monitor baby regularly. Um, we couldn't sleep. We couldn't sleep with unbelief so that's that's our story and so we named her Lindywe it's um, a name that means it means waited for um yeah a beautiful name that's our story she was truly waited for she was and you did this so we did the skin I did the skin to skin I, I, I did that throughout um throughout our stay yeah. They taught us how to feed her, change her, just, you know, quite a lot of things. So, so wow. yeah. yeah, it's it's just one of those stories. <laughs> An amazing story. Yeah, yeah. An amazing um, story. Uh, and then the process to bring her back here, that takes a while as well, because then you have to apply for a passport. Um, so we stayed in Greece for two months. Oh, wow in an airbnb with a newborn by ourselves so that's another challenge as if <laughs> <laughs> so that was another test newborn baby staying in airbnb in um, a foreign country foreign country um but they were good the surrogate surrogate was good as well she would call regularly and she would say if you need any advice or you want help come and I'll, I'll you know I'll give you help we cho chose to bottle feed her right. as opposed to have the surrogate give her right. milk. So we chose to bottle feed her. But apparently you can, um, I could have had the choice to, to breastfeed if I wanted to. Okay. I would have had to take um, hormones, mm. I think six months before she was pregnant, before she was born. Um, but yeah, so we, we, she, we bottle fed her. We had the support from the clinic while, whilst we were there. But to get her back to the UK, you have to go through another process of applying for a passport. You have to send all the documents to the passport office, to the courts, 
to just to support your case as to why this baby is British, you know, yeah. they need to determine citizenship. Um, because when a bo- baby is born in Greece, they are not given a Greek citizenship right. automatically. So, so yeah, so we stayed there for two months and then we got our paperwork and we came back. Other people do stay longer, but yeah, we came back. We came, came back. back home. Came back brought home. brought baby home. We brought her home to start her life home. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was such a long road, yeah. What a beautiful story, though. Mm, thank you. Yeah, but from all the way started and through all that journey. It was tough. And you know, the toughest moment for me, I think there are, as you, as you are aware on this journey, a lot of us have so many tough moments, right? There were a lot of dark moments, but I think for me, the rock bottom was when we had that second embryo transfer, it didn't work. And she mm. had to break. Yeah. You know, I hit rock bottom. You know, when your, when your bottom feels the floor, and I, I remember crying and kneeling and saying to God, God, this cross, this cross you've given me. I've been carrying this heavy cross. It is so heavy. I can't stand anymore. It is it's too heavy. I cannot face another day. It's too painful. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what you want me to do with this. You know, I said, I have done the work. I have prayed. I've, I've done everything. My husband and I have done everything. We've walked the right path. And, and, and the, the, the I'm, I'm losing my chain of thought. So in that moment um, of crying, I remember crying for a very long time. My husband was at work. I cried for a very long time. And then the thoughts started. You could just feel, you could just take your car and just go, just drive, run away. Don't tell anyone, leave your husband, leave him so he can start afresh with someone else. And I had said to him a few times before, I'd said, you know, this is going to be hard. Being on this journey with me, marrying me is going to be tough because I don't know if I'll be able to give you a child we are early on in this relationship, we could divorce and you could find someone else and start afresh. And, you know, each time you would say, no, if you don't say that, don't say that. I'm not here to, I married you not because I wanted a child. I married you because I wanted to be with you because of who you are, not because you're giving me a child. Mm. I'm aware of your history of fibroids. And I, I was aware that having a child in future may be difficult. And I married you regardless because it's you who I wanted to be with. So, um, so those thoughts, back to those thoughts, I started having those thoughts. Run away, Fee. Run away. Take your phone. Go. Go. Um, don't tell your family. Just disappear. And you know when you, you don't want to die? but you just don't know how to live anymore. You don't because you wake up with the pain. You spend the day with the pain. You come back home. It's like this thing. 
that people don't people don't know that infertility is this thing that care you walk around with every day you're facing it and what's worse as soon as you step outside your home mm. there are triggers yeah you could do all the work you do at home come out with a smile there's a pregnant lady taking a walk you go to the shops the kids running around everywhere triggers 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 alarm bells everywhere and i said how do you expect me to live another day how i can't do it and i considered myself a resilient person but this journey ah it is brutal i want people to know that this journey is brutal it shakes you to the core not only does it affect you emotionally and mentally socially financially mm. it drains you financially we used all our savings towards this whole process all our savings and on top of that you have bills coming in you have the rent electricity you know life does not give you a leave of absence you know i'm sorry i need mm. to take leave of absence from paying yeah. my bills um so i can deal with this fertility and surrogacy no you're still paying your bills every day. You're still required to go to work and be productive. We had never told our employers, but you're still required to be productive when you go to work. So I want people to know that this is brutal. You need when you see a couple or people that have had that haven't had children for a while. Please be careful and sensitive with how you ask those questions, or don't even ask. Google how to ask an appropriate question. Well, a question that's sensitive. Please be kind. Please be kind because it 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 it's not. It's complex. It's a very complex journey. Um. But yeah. So when I was in that moment, um, when I hit rock bottom, and I was having all these negative thoughts about what I need to do, get out, run away. I then decided, something snapped. You know, when your head feels hot and you feel like. If I continue thinking like this, I might snap and I don't know what I'll do. I might snap, you know? So I remember screaming, screaming, and I just said, stop, stop. And then something just said to me, Fee, you have two options. You have two options here. One, you continue to feel sorry for yourself. You lay down, you don't wake up, you sleep, you don't eat. And you starve yourself and neglect yourself and end up taking pill pills, you know, antidepressants, right? You've got that and withdraw from society. Or you start finding a way of taking control of your emotions, your emotions and your mind, and start viewing your situation from a different perspective. Mm. Because this journey you have no control over. You have no control over. Relinquish all control but find a way of taking back control of your emotions and your mindset. And it's in that moment, in that moment, I decided, you know what? Let me take control of my emotions. My husband needs me. My family needs me. You know, I'm not, I shouldn't be giving up, you know? So I think in that moment, I decided I was going to start the process of self-examination, like really asking myself questions, um, what is it about, what are your beliefs about motherhood? 
you know, because we all hold these deeply ingrained beliefs or values about motherhood or being a wife. And I know most of us on this journey, we tell ourselves that we can't be fulfilled or happy unless we have a child. And that's one common belief that we all have. And I had that. I said life was pointless without a child. And I say, but is that really true, Fee? Is life pointless? How many things have you done before that you found fulfilling in the past? You've traveled, you've enjoyed that, you spent time with friends, that was fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. So start looking for other things that you value in life aside from having a child, you know? So I started doing work, like serious work on myself. I bought books, listened to podcasts, listened to a lot of things, self-development. I did the self-development work. I worked on myself. I worked on myself. And it's at that point I decided, I say to myself, what is it, what's important? Is it important to have a biological child or just to mother a child? And I realized that, you know what? I have an innate need to mother a child. It doesn't have to be a biological. Uh, I don't have to be biologically related to the child. And it was at that point we decided we would look into adoption. We were left with one embryo, but we lost all hope in that embryo, right? So we inquired into adoption and we actually attended a meeting where they talked about it. And then they asked us to, to do a formal application over the phone, like an interview to see if we're eligible. We did that, but we were told that we we're not eligible for adoption because we still had to finish the, this whole surrogacy process, right. process the emotions around it, and then start adoption because adoption was another challenging um they did say it's a different journey and you have to make sure that you're both mentally and you know emotionally prepared for it so that was another blow and thinking okay we can't do adoption and then that at that time fortunately she came by the surrogate and she said she wanted to have another go um but i'm telling you when she was pregnant there was never a time when we were, you know, sitting relaxed. We were all always on eggshells because anything could happen at any point. Um, but but yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, it's it's, Thank it's you. yeah, yeah. So you know, um, I think you asked. There's a question that you had previously asked me. <laughs> Um, and you said, why, 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 why are you doing this? Why are you telling people? Because after all of that, nobody needed to know. I mean, you went to Greece. Yeah, you could, yeah um, people will say, why didn't, why didn't you just have your baby and just come back just, and keep quiet? Yeah, yeah. just say, that's my baby, I have my baby. Yeah. I think the reason why I decided to do it is, first of all, I just wanted to highlight the complexities of infertility yeah. people can be kind you know people can be a bit more considerate um, and careful and sensitive with your words and um and and just to give hope to those that are still waiting that there are alternatives to being a parent aside from you know having um going through the usual pathways you know you're having IVF and th- that you can look for a different pathway and then just to hopefully destigmatize the conversations, just to make the conversations a bit more, uh, normalize them. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's why I'm talking about it. And thank you for doing that. I mean, thank you for sharing your story because you rightly touched on so many important parts that people don't know mm. about the mental well-being of the whole process. And you're know, yes. talking about how you felt, you know, felt guilty for not being able to give your husband a child. Mm. And, and the reality, is it our fault? Is it anyone's fault? No, but we've been raised to believe that if you can't do it, if something is wrong with you. That's it. A right. woman's value, a woman's value, right, is placed upon her ability yeah. to give a man a child. Yeah. And it shouldn't be like that. No. You're valuable either way. You are, you know. Um, aside from you, you don't have to be a mother. It's a choice. Yes. Yeah. So you need to find your own value aside from being a parent first whilst going through this journey. It's hard. It's hard though, isn't it? Society is hard. The pressures from society. Um, people can succumb to the pressures from society. Yeah. And thank you to your husband, to your amazing, amazing husband mm. for, for sharing those important, important affirmations and reminding of how important the love that he has for you. Mm. because it is so important so at those times you forget you yeah. know you, you you tell him and go off and find somebody else so i can do this for you that's it and, and yeah they do hurt as much as we hurt i think because they have their own coping strategies for example my husband you know he, he prefers to kind of distance himself when he's going through something but what was hard in this in this on this journey was sometimes i wanted us to cope with feelings the same way um, and I would impose my own coping skills on him, which I shouldn't have. Yeah. Because that would frustrate him as well. So you learn a lot about communication. Um, and and you support each other's each other that way because he didn't have an outlet aside from his immediate family. He it, it's just one of those things we we didn't tell our friends at all. None of them knew. Um, in fact, a lot of people didn't know. We kept it amongst our immediate family members. And when the baby was born, we did make it a point to call everyone and just do a video call. <laughs> would say, what? <laughs> <laughs> Whose baby is that? <laughs> you know, and, and we wanted to, we wanted to share this, the whole journey with our friends. But all our friends had had children. And we felt, we felt like if we told them out of their own goodness, they'll feel sorry for us, you know, and they'll want yeah. to know more and support us. And, and they may, we felt like they may withhold mm -hmm. sharing information about their children in, in a way to protect us. Yeah. Yeah. But then not knowing that that would isolate us even more, you know? Yeah. So I think that's advice to friends who have friends going through infertility don't shy away from talking about your own children because they they too want to be involved in your children's lives. Mm -hmm. Let me be the one to decide whether or not I want to attend that party. Don't 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 disinvite me. Is that the word? Is that a word? Like, yeah, yeah. Don't you know? Don't tell me about. Don't don't withhold information about your kids. Don't do not withhold an invite to a, a baby shower or a party, a, a kid's party, thinking that you are protecting me. Don't do that because you're isolating me even more. 
just give me the option, give me the option to decline. Yes, it's difficult to attend those parties, to attend baby showers, but let me be the one to decide because I want to feel included and involved. So we felt like if we did that, our friends would not include us in a lot of things with regards to, you know, their children's um, activities. And because it was such a complex, it's such a complex, complex process, we didn't know what to expect. And you're trying to manage your own emotions. So try imagine managing other people's emotions. On top of that. Wow. Yeah, because people, when, when you're down, when you've told them that you've had a miscarriage, they're going to feel down as well, right? Yeah. And so you feel like you have to manage their emotions on top of managing your own emotions. So yeah, we did apologize to a lot of people. We did. A lot of people that we were close to, we did apologize and explain that. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Easy. Yeah. It's not easy to actually express that you know because that's this journey is like this yeah. despair you've got hope despair yeah. you're anxious you're it just changes it you changes. just can't relax until it no. seems like everything is you tense. perfect tense. yeah we were anxious up until the day she was born we didn't buy prepare when we went to greece i think i bought five items of clothes for her the very minimum the very basics we hadn't prepared a nursery for her. We had nothing in her room, nothing, because we didn't know that it would happen. So, yes, it's just one of those. You're tense throughout the whole period. But, yeah. And it's so important that people know that, right? Because when people don't understand that infertility changes the whole experience for you. Mm. Like, when people see pregnancy tests and say, oh, wow, perfect, you're going to have a baby in nine months. That's mm. the That's the... The other person that hasn't dealt with infertility is expression. But for mm. someone that has, yeah, it's now like, okay, every scan, every yes. milestone yes. is, you know, you take a deep breath, but you also like, okay, let me not be too yeah. relaxed. You know, right? so people yeah. don't understand that you can't just relax. And it doesn't mean you don't have faith. It's just mm. what life has thrown at you in that, in that aspect. Like I said earlier, you, you relinquish all control. You have no control, you know? It could be a pre pregnancy positive test and then should the person, the, the, you know, you get have a miscarriage. Yeah. So um, the other misconception that people had were, you know, they were asking, oh, your surrogate was a Caucasian. How come the baby's black? <laughs> <laughs> so it was all of that explaining, having to explain that we had IVF, they created embryos from my um, eggs and my husband's sperm. So there was that a lot of misunderstanding. And then we did DNA tests as well. And the baby, the baby's ours. <laughs> so, because they do ask you to do a DNA test when we bring right. in the baby here. Mm. Just to confirm that it's your baby. Uh, yeah, so I think that was one of the biggest misconceptions. Definitely. Yeah, because that's what people assume, right? And then, of course, as well, how surrogacy is so expensive because all we hear about is in the States and yes. $100,000, 150000 200000 Like, I mean, that mm. just seems so unattainable. So it's it's great that you shared your story and letting us know that it can be attainable. Yeah, but I also think if, you know, if anyone is considering any IVF treatments abroad, say, uh, for example, um, the experience that we had out it exceeded expectation. The clinic exceeded our expectations. They, you know, as a black person, when you are going abroad to get treatments, you kind of have thoughts, you wonder whether, you know, there might be some racial bias and yeah. 
you know, people go to Turkey and get treatments over there and they're not treated well, really. And <laughs> so we had this perception. We thought we didn't know, but we, we were picked up at the airport the first time we went there. They let us stay in the Airbnb. They had a surrogacy coordinator who was constant, consistently in touch with us. They just that I can't yet. We cannot fault the clinic. They treat their clients really, really well. And they've had a few UK um, parents, intended parents that have had successful surrogacy journeys as well. So um, the thing I'd like people to know, if you're going to look for a clinic to do IVF, whether you're doing IVF or surrogacy, you need to consider things such as, um, because I know sometimes they say it's it's cheaper, right, to go abroad, like Europe. If you go to Europe, uh, the treatments are cheaper. But consider things like accommodation, how long you, you may need to be there for. IVF, if you're going to have IVF, you need to factor in the two weeks. And if those embryos are going to be retransferred into you as the woman again you need to factor in that time to travel and be there so you stay that's accommodation costs you need to think about your manager at work are you going to do they have that flexibility will they allow you or permit you to suddenly go you need to think about um what if my period comes early for those that know when you're starting your ivf treatment you start taking the medications the injections is it on day one or day two of your cycle? Yeah. If your cycle starts early and you have a clinic in Greece or um, Ukraine or, you know, Cyprus, can you speak to your manager and say, uh, I need, to, I need to go tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need time off today. <laughs> Are they going to be flexible enough? Yeah. You want to share that journey with them? So there's a lot of things to consider. You would also need to check whether the clinic that's abroad has an affiliated clinic here that they work with in case you can't travel there to start your medication you could start the medication here and then go to that clinic to do the transfer so in my our example my cycle came early earlier than planned so they gave us the option to say well you could use one of our clinics in the UK and start taking your drugs but then it meant we would have to pay more you know, for the scans, medication, extra. Whereas if we had gone to Greece, everything was covered within the package that we were paying for. Mm. So luckily, um, you know, we were able to find a flight and then we went to do the IVF over there and stayed for two weeks. So there's a lot of things to consider, you know, um, if you're going to go go abroad and just making sure you join forums, uh, Facebook pages, I for IVF treatment sometimes if you join a Facebook page you could search a clinic's name and then the chats regarding that clinic can come up or you could just ask people if they've had experiences of that clinic usually they can tell you whether they've been good or bad so we had asked on the surrogacy page if people had had experiences with Greece no one had 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 an experience with that particular clinic but a few had had experiences with Greece Right. And the experience is quite positive. So those are the things that people should, should be aware of and, and get to know. And also ask about the success rates yeah. if they're going to go. You know, like from ask if they've treated someone who's had fibroids before. You know, if you're going to have IVF yourself, have they treated some people people that have had endometriosis? Um, yeah. what, are the, what are the success rates when it comes to pregnancy? 
So it's just really asking those questions. Yes, all very important. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. And in terms of cost, because I mean, cost is always a, an issue for people for surrogacy. Um, how photo, affordable is it in compared to the US? Like you don't have to give exact numbers, mm -hmm. but just in comparison to the US, how, because I think the people that want to consider it, oftentimes you think, is this even attainable? Mm. Yeah. So with the clinic that we used, um, they gave us a package up front, um, but the cost, you don't pay the whole cost up front. Okay, that helps. Yes, because you pay in installments. So in what they call them segments. So they had the segment one where you do the IVF. Um, and then even within the segment, sometimes the payments are split. So they might say, okay, let's do a, um, a cost for, we'll, we'll bill you for this portion. And then maybe in two months time or three months time, we will, you know, we'll bill you for this. So it's spread out throughout the whole period. And then they take the final portion when the baby's born. So it's all in segments. So we, what we were doing was, you know, we would, when they told us that in two, three months time, this is how much they would need, you know, yeah. put aside that, make sure you put aside that. <laughs> yeah. And then we would also, okay, so when is the next payment required? And they'll say, okay, in six months, this is what we need. So it's really spread out. Yeah. You know, that really helps. Yeah, it's just like, um, and then and then you pay the surrogate, uh, surrogate for expenses, just like here in the UK. So that's what they say. You compensate them for the expenses. Yeah. Um, I think at the time when we were, when we started our journey, it was within around thirty something thousand euros. Wow, that's amazing. For them. Yeah, for the, for, um, at that time. That's amazing because, I mean, you, you, you know, the US. As well, because, yeah. yeah, in comparison to the US, the US is, you could pay, be paying up to 150,000. Um, but remember, you're also going to compensate the surrogate, surrogate yeah. as well. So that's an additional cost. And you need a lawyer. So the clinic also has a lawyer that has to make sure that, that all the legal paperwork um, is is done correctly, signed correctly. She's there as a representative for the clinic uh, and the surrogate, but she's also there for you as well in case um, you need assistance. So you we you know we had to, that's an additional cost. The 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 lawyer um, and yeah, and additional things like accommodation, like I said earlier. Yeah, but it's good that it's spread out. But it's right? spread it's out. So if you have a clinic, if you find a clinic, it's asking them, well, how do you normally take payment? Do you want it all upfront or do you have options? You know, what yeah. options do you have in terms of um, paying installments? So again, if the once the, the, the surrogate is pregnant, you pay a fee. And then when she re reaches about, is it 25, 24 weeks, uh, you make another payment. And then the bulk of the payment comes when the baby's born. And then, you know, they paid for a private clinic because that's the, who they aff affiliate with. You have access to an obstetrician um, at hand during pregnancy, a gynae, and it's it's very much organized. It's well organized. Some may ask, why did you choose Greece as opposed to the UK? I think because in the UK, it's, uh, it's, it's not as organized as in Greece um, and it's not as protected. 
our yeah. laws here in the UK was you can sign contracts with a surrogate, but you're not legally binding. You know, anything can happen when your surrogate is pregnant. You can't really take them to court because the surrogate is is seen as the mother of the Which child. Which is just unbelievable. Yeah. So the laws it's... need well. They, there's campaigns going on at the moment to try and change that because they are um, they are old laws. Whereas in Greece, as soon as she get pre gets pregnant, everyone knows. Everyone knows what their purpose is. We have an understanding um, of what's going to happen. The surrogate knows and knows what's expected of her. They assign a surrogacy coordinator to your case from the moment you start until everything is done and you consistently keep in touch with the clinic. Yeah. So, so, yeah. And then when Thank you come you. to the UK, you're not immediately the parents uh, of the child. Oh, no? You have to pay for a process called parental order. Oh, I see. In order for everything to be changed legally um, and transferred so that you both parents are named on the British birth certificate of the child. Yeah. Which is very important because I guess it's different for each country. I know we've got some parts in the US that you get the parental order before. Yeah. While, while the child yes. is pregnant. Yeah. And then, of course, like you said, the UK people have to wait and hope that right. the surrogacy, sorry, mm -hmm. the surrogate actually gives up the baby and you don't have to go to court. So the surrogate has to write a, give a, a signed consent after six weeks to say, I'm happy yeah. for the parents, the, 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 the biological parents to take over. So, just so in that moment, anxiety. yeah, it does. Because in that moment, you can't make any legal decisions or medical decisions. If your child fell ill and you went to hospital, yeah. they would ask for the surrogate mother to be the one to make the decisions. Because wow. you're not considered as parents until you go to the courts um, and that paperwork is done and completed. So it's a whole journey. And thank you for speaking on this, because I think people need to know, right? Even when people just say, why didn't you just do surrogate? Why didn't you just do surrogacy? Because they don't understand mm -hmm. this. It's not as easy as, so why don't you just do this? Mm -hmm. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things to think about. Yeah, there's a lot of things to think about. So it's only now we're starting to piece our lives back together, you know? um uh, and recover <laughs> get used to baby at home the, uh, and recover. yeah so so yeah um so you know how some women you know how they say when when women say once they give birth the pain goes away um yeah and how pregnancy for some is such a difficult journey ours was a long pregnancy i would say it's a four-year pregnancy <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> the four-year wow. pregnancy and they say the pain go away, goes away but when you do have your child I think one thing that people don't still know is the wounds of infertility still are at the back of your mind you think about it so I get emotional not because I'm 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 still yeah then yeah <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, but the pain stays on. It doesn't just disappear. The pain stays on. But I've done the work. Um, I think another thing that I was going to touch on is uh, what I think people don't realize that infertility is a traumatic experience. It's traumatic. And people will say, you know, how is it a trauma? It's a trauma because, you, you know, you're grieving the thing that you want the most. You're grieving the loss of not being 
able to become a mom at one day, at one point, not being able to carry a child, that's grief. Yeah. Struggling to conceive is grief. Taking those medications, being told one day, oh, you know, you have a good lining. And the next day you're told, oh, unfortunately, we couldn't collect any eggs from you. You know, it's, it's, it's traumatic. It's really traumatic. And people have to do the work on this journey, I would say. It is because I think the pain that you don't transform, you will transmit it to others. And that's a saying that T.D. Jakes would say a lot of the time, Pastor T.D. Jakes, the pain that you don't transform, you will transmit. And that's the one thing I always used to tell myself, Fee, you need to deal with this pain, deal with the grief, deal with the loss, because if you don't, you're going to become bitter. And that seed of bitterness is going to grow and sprout. You are going to project it on your husband, project it on your family, project it on children, anyone that you see. You're going to become this bitter person that's just horrible to be around and pleasant to be around. And you'll never be happy or satisfied. So if you can really work on that pain, if you can get a therapist, if you can, if you can't get a therapist, because, you know, sometimes you have to weigh things up. We didn't get a therapist. We should have, maybe. But when you have the weight of surrogacy costs and then you have to pay 90 pounds or 100 pounds a counseling session, yeah. yeah. That's the reality. Yes. Yeah. That's the reality of things. Yeah, You choose, you know. So we did the work. I did the work on myself. We worked on communicating, my husband and I talking um and I if when I say I did the work on myself I did the work so again that's part of why I'm talking about this so I can support people on how to do the work on yourself to get to a place of peace contentment um outside besides the outcome you know where you're not focusing on the outcome so much that whatever the outcome I am going to maintain my peace and my joy. And the one thing that kept me, kept me stable is my faith. I mean, I had a love-hate relationship with, with God at one point, which mm. you know, I, I'm sure you can attest to that. But then it stopped when I realized that my relationship with him should not be predicated on what he can give me, right? On what he can provide me. My relationship with him should be predicated on how I feel when I'm in his presence the joy, the peace, the deep satisfaction of being loved and peace despite the chaos around me, right? So when I realized that, that I'm, not, I'm gonna praise him because of how I feel when I'm in his presence, I was able to have a relationship with him and restore that relationship until this day. The one thing that I can do the one thing that you asked, you know, how it's transformed me as a person. Yeah. Journey. I, I, it's, I've been transformed tremendously. I'm more self-aware. I, I am able to control and manage my emotions and my thoughts in any highly stressful situation. It's not to say that I won't be anxious. I will be but I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I can get over things really quick because that journey of infertility, oof, 
anything else that comes after that. <laughs> I'm like, I can do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, when, when you when you go through something that makes you feel like you don't want to live anymore. Mm. And then you work yourself out of it. You know that you can go through any other thing afterwards. So I feel like I have been deeply transformed. And my marriage, oh my goodness, couldn't happen better. We started this marriage with infertility. We went into the marriage with infertility. We didn't have time to actually really enjoy what the marriage was. We were dealing with infertility from the beginning. So five years this year, oh, it's, it's, my marriage has been transformed, truly transformed as a result of what we've gone through. That's beautiful to hear, Fee, yeah. because I think that even when you talk about fibroids and the fact that your husband to be at the time knew about it and loved you in spite of whatever you had to deal with at that time and in the future, because I know that even here in Nigeria, people speak sometimes about fibroids and people, I know that some people will say, don't even tell the boyfriend, because, yeah. you know, if he knows, then he might not marry you, That's then he might be aware there might be potential complications. So you choosing to have that conversation with him and him choosing to say, hey, I love you in spite of whatever. Mm -hmm. is amazing. It's beautiful. It you need to have more people hearing that and knowing that they didn't create themselves whatever way they might be, they didn't create the fibers, they didn't choose fibers. I don't think anyone would choose fibers or any other fertility challenge. And for people to just be kind, like you said. Mm. So it's, it's amazing to hear your story and how you were open and how your husband was loving mm. in spite of all of that. I think we need more openness and people being not afraid of being rejected because yes. of something they have no control over. Yes, that's true. It's true. It's true. It's that rejection. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. And if you had to go back to 18-year-old Fee, knowing all that you've been through now, yeah. what would you tell her? Be curious. Be curious, little Fee. <laughs> Be curious about your reproductive health and your fertility. Honestly, get to know the anatomy of your reproductive health. Be curious about how it works, your periods ovulation because i think once you are empowered about how fertility works and your rep reproductive health um and your family history as well oh this is really important i would have said ask your mothers ask your aunts have has anyone in the family ever suffered with endometriosis or yes or mm -hmm. ask for the history ask about menopause has anyone in the family had menopause at an early age because that can have an impact on your fertility so i would say if you ask those questions because once you've been empowered with all that information that will guide you in future when you're deciding who you're going to date you'll be more intentional about who you're dating right mm. um because now you know that, you know, especially if you have a history, because I have a strong family background um, of fibroids. So little fee, I would have said, you know, ask all those questions and just be curious about how, what people's experiences, relatives' experiences were. So, because as I say, it guides you on, on, you become more intentional about who you choose to date and you become intentional about the careers you choose and companies you work for because you you know you could decide i want to delay having a child 
um, and work for companies that facilitate that, that give you fertility benefits to freeze yes. your right? So it, it really being empowered at a young age, the young fiend, early 20s, that would have guided my career. I could have worked for a company. I decided, oof, what can I do to work for a um I posted one once recently. About, I saw that. Yes, we yes. yeah, go ahead. What yeah. company? One of some what of those companies. It's like LinkedIn, YouTube, BlackRock, um, this law firm as well. I can't remember. I would have thought, what can I do to work for those companies? Because I've got, you know, in, I've been told that I might need surrogates in future. Yeah. So if I could work for one of those companies, I could have fertility benefits and assistance yes. with that. So, yeah, so little fee, young fee, be curious about <laughs> and your fertility. Yeah. yeah, very important. Mm-hmm. But even Fee earlier was very was such an advocate from the very beginning because I remember you having that conversation with that doctor, you know, saying, so what do you want us to do about your periods being so light? You know, but you were persistent because can you imagine him saying that to someone who was not really aware? The person might just think, well, okay, maybe I shouldn't really be bothering about this. Maybe it's not so bad after all, yeah. right? And you Definitely. don't actually realize you need to push forward through that and request what you want in spite yes. of their own beliefs or... Mm. Uh, misconceptions mm. but that was later after maybe because I'd had a history of having uh, you know I was more grown up then <laughs> <laughs> so I was I think it was I was 30 31 so and I was a bit more assertive yeah uh, whereas before I, I don't think I was but having gone through this journey of having fibroids I decided no no no, no. I need to take charge this yeah. is my body you know I need to take charge and be, yeah. be more assertive when it comes to your health so, so yeah, so yeah. Oh, thank you. Mm. And as a wrap up sheet, mm-hmm. for anyone listening right now and going through fertility challenges and struggles, what words of encouragement would you like to share? You know, I'd say don't lose yourself in this process of trying to have a child because there are other things that are valuable in life aside from having a child. Find that thing that you value write your values down and start living your life in a way that aligns with those values you know and that thing that thing that you so desire will come you know if you're meant to have it but don't lose yourself don't don't lose yourself start start focusing on other things in life so you can get through every day focus on that yeah, I would say that because that's what I did. I started creating daily habits to distract myself from this thing that I carried every day. So those daily habits, I made sure that they would feed my emotional, mental and physical health. So it would be reading and it would be listening to podcasts about anything. I, again, just be curious about learning about different things, uh, learning about life in general, other topics aside from having a child or family, think about financial literacy, which I learned throughout this whole period, financial literacy, financial wealth, how you can build that, start listening to that. You could listen to other podcasts of how people have gone through adversities. Um, Think about your career. What do you want out of your life? You know, what is it that you want to do that's meaningful? So start to think about the things that you value the most in life aside from having a baby yeah so you don't lose yourself Mm -hmm. so well said Fee. 
Mm. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And just to confirm, are you open to people reaching out to you? Oh, yes. Yes, I am. I am. I mean, you can reach out to me on um, fee underscore G-U-G-Z. So fee spelled F-I um, underscore G-U-G-Z. That's okay. on Instagram. And then you can put my email as well on the podcast. Okay, notes. In the notes. Okay. Yes, I'm happy. I'm happy for people to contact me and ask questions. I'll do that because I know that people want to know how you also survived every day knowing that the surrogate was carrying your baby and how you didn't lose your mind trying mm. to control everything. Mm, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, yeah. And I'm happy to answer any questions. I really am I'm free and open with that. It's wonderful. Well, thank, thank you so that. much for uh, it, it has been amazing having you on here to say today to speak about your story your journey mm. and how you were finally able to bring your baby girl home yes well thank, thank you you. Yeah. thank you so much I feel honored to be on your podcast and, to, you. and I love it as I said before I've listened to it and and thank you for giving me the opportunity to actually share my story. And, and I hope, you know, you. I hope people get in touch to ask more. Don't, don't be shy. Ask me any question. Please get in touch and ask. Thank you for thank providing you. this platform. Thank you, Fee. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable because you shared so much mm. intimate details and the realities of infertility or fertility challenges that people might not know. Mm. Thank you for, for, for choosing to speak out because again, you have the option to have said nothing and no one would have known yeah. but again you choosing to speak means you're reaching so many other people who are dealing with this silently mm -hmm. and now knowing that they're not alone and mm -hmm. that you know you went through it and if you're able to get through your journey going through all those steps perhaps they can also get to their desired outcomes yes. so thank you yes thank you, you so much me. for all thank that you. you do and for all that you're doing to raise awareness in a black community and globally to everyone that is listening so thank you for all that you're doing and we look forward to having you again in the near future thank you thank you thank you Ola. <laughs>